Praise be to God, there is a higher throne. Thank you, Susan, for leading us in that song. For you, the, the, our congregation, we want to let you know this is one of the songs we will attempt to learn as a congregation over the next two, three chapters that we have remaining in the Gospel of John. Because everything we will see from this point forward in the Gospel of John is that despite the events that are happening with Jesus, there is another kingdom. There is another throne. So we encourage you, take the bulletin, um, take, home, take it home with you, read through the song this week. We'll, we'll bring you back next week as a, as a corporate song that we will have. I'd like to encourage you this morning to consider the following question. I know this morning uh, some of us are gone, uh, some of our, our family members are gone. Uh, we pray for them for travel mercies. It's, uh, it's always encouraging to see when we're all here, and today is, is not one of those days, but the Lord is here and we are encouraged by His presence. But as we are encouraged by the Lord's presence this morning, I want to ask you the following question. What is the most important thing about yourself that you can think about yourself? What is the most important thing that you consider about yourself to be the most important thing? The most important thing about ourselves is not our profession, our work, our status in life, whether we're married or not. Um, it's not our self-built identity. It's not our family. It's not our money. Although all those things are good things, they're not bad things. But the most important truth to realize about ourselves is that we are sinners in need of God's grace. Do you see yourself this way? this morning? That we are sinners in need of God's grace? Well, this is what John's gospel is all about. That Jesus is the revealer of life. But if you don't see yourself needing this life, you're the most wretched person. No matter how good you might think about yourself. If this morning we don't see ourselves as being the ones in need of the life Jesus came to bring to us, then we miss out on the most important part of why we're here, of why Jesus was sent to us. In chapter 18 of the Gospel of John, the events of this Gospel take the turn which the Jews desired as early as chapter 5. If you've been with us for the series on the Gospel of John, you might remember John 5.18. You don't have to turn there. Just hear the words we've read a few weeks back. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And now in chapter 18, Jesus will finally be arrested. The one who had power to heal the lame. The one who had power to multiply bread in the desert. The one who had power to give sight to the blind. The one who had power to give life to the dead. This one is going to be arrested. Yet even in his arrest, Jesus reveals to us who he is and why he came into this world. 
And the answer is, he's the king, and he remains in charge, even in his arrest. Would you open Scripture to John chapter 18? As we continue our reading of God's Word in this Gospel, if you're using the Bible provided in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 939. As you turn there also, I just want to remind you that the theme of this morning's message is the arrest of the king. First part. Let's read God's Word this morning and see what God has to speak to us through His Word. When He had find. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, I told you that I am he. Jesus answered, if you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold. And the servants and the officials stood around the fire. They had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. 
If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warning himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Did I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If you were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that, what, is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. For this and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No! Not him! Give us Barabbas! Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. And ask the Lord to give us His Spirit to teach us His Word in fresh ways. Oh Lord, we come to You in these moments, having just read Your Word, thanking You for the privilege that we are hearers of Your revelation. Oh Lord, we pray now that through Your Holy Spirit, You would enable us to become doers of Your Word. You would enable us to understand Your Word so that we may listen to it with our wills and with our actions. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, friends, there are two ways people can show off their strengths. The one most common is when people are lashing out and overpowering their opponents. 
In our culture, we even have an idiom that we use in various contexts. We call it bringing out the big guns. You know what I'm talking about? No, it doesn't have to be about war or, or conflict necessarily. It's about showing off what you got, showing off the biggest resources. Now, when someone steps on our toes, it's very easy for us to show our strength by lashing out and um, responding with anger, raising our voice, hitting the, fist, the, the table with our fist, declaring commands, telling people what they should do. How dare you do this to me? Right? How dare you preach a long sermon? I can't believe he did that. I'm not going there again. We react in all kinds of ways to show who's ultimately in charge. Who's got the final say? That's one way to show who's in charge. By reacting in anger, in lashing out, in showing off. But there's another way to show one's strength. It's by restraining from getting angry and getting violent when you have all the reasons to do so. Think how hard it is to keep yourself away from becoming angry and keep your calm and not respond with violence or anger when others get on your nerves. And I want to ask you, which is harder to do? To lash out in anger or to restrain it? Who's got the bigger strength? There's a verse in Proverbs 16:32 that says, A man who keeps a control of himself is better than a man who conquers a city. And in some way, this is what we see here in Jesus and in this act of him being arrested. By his arrest, Jesus opens our eyes even more to the power of his kingship. He opens our eyes even more to the nature of his kingdom. He opens our eyes even more to what it means to belong to his kingdom. So let's look at, at these three points as we look at John 18. Jesus shows us the power of his kingship. Jesus displayed his power even in the moment of his arrest by the fact that he took the initiative to meet the mob and reveal himself to them. He is not going to make it difficult. You know, this moment in Jesus' arrest is not like the Robin Hood movies. It's not like Zorro, you know, where people have a hard time finding the, the, the main hero. No, Jesus is going to make it in some way quite lame, you know, for Hollywood standards. Um, Jesus is going to show up and take the initiative and, and face this mob and say, who are you looking for? And this is not an accident. He knows what he's doing. He knows what they're doing. And, he, and, he's saying, and they're saying, we're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am he. Now, this is where it gets a little exciting. Uh, because when Jesus says, I am he, the, the, really the, the Greek language is, is really beautiful. The, the English translation loses the power. In the Greek language, it's only two words, ego, a me, which is literally, I am. Now, this word, I am, 
has been used several times in this gospel. But most importantly, it's the word that goes back all the way to Exodus when God shows up to Moses and tells Moses, go and, and bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, God, by what name should I introduce you to your people? And God says, tell them that I am sent you. That's it. No wonder, no wonder that when, when Jesus says to this mob armed with, with, with weapons, when he says, I am, they, they draw back and, and fall down to the ground. Now, this is, this is somewhat ir- ironical. Here's a mob with weapons coming, facing the one they are looking for. He's unarmed. There's no danger. And he simply says, I am. And they fall down to the ground. The power of his words. In some way, the power of his name. In some way, this is a fulfillment, a small fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 11:4, where the prophet says, He will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Now, Jesus in the garden is not slaying the, his mob. With, with the breath of his lips. But friends, can you imagine if by uttering his own name, an armed mob falls to the ground in front of the one whom they came to arrest? If that's the kind of power he has, what would the result be when he shall come, not to be judged by man, but to be the judge of all the living and the dead? If he has power to do this, when he's arrested, what will he do when he will come to judge? Oh, friends, let us never lose sight of this great detail that Jesus, even in the moment of his arrest, has authority. His words, his name has power even in facing a mob for, um, armed with weapons. But Jesus displays his power not only by taking the initiative and revealing himself, he displayed his power in protecting his own disciples. Jesus asked a second time, look with me in the passage, it's all in the text. He asked a second time, this, this mob is now floored. Can you just imagine? He's, the, the, the people are floored down to the ground. And he's asking them a second time, who are you looking for? And they say a second time, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said for the second time, I am he. I told you so. And then he says, if you're looking for me, then let these men go. Now the evangelist tells us that in doing this, Jesus fulfilled another of his own prophecies, that I have not lost one of those you gave me. Friends, if he's a king in power, can he protect his people? If he's a king in power, can he protect his people when he's being arrested? And the answer is yes. Even in his arrest, he has power to protect his people. Can you imagine how he's able to protect us now that he's on the throne? What kind of political leader would do this? 
for his constituents. Jesus would rather turn himself in and face death than lose any one of his disciples. What kind of boss would ever do this for his employees? By using his power to protect his people, Jesus shows us that he is truly the kingly shepherd, even while arrested. Men, let me talk to you. If you're, if you're married, are you showing this kind of authority and selfless protection over your family? This is how Jesus showed his power, his authority, by protecting his own disciples. And then Jesus displayed his kingly power not only by taking the initiative to reveal himself, not only by protecting his own sheep, but Jesus showed his power by accepting the Father's cup. Peter took the initiative to provide human protection for Jesus, even though Jesus was the one protecting his disciples. As well intended as this act was on Peter's part, it was still misguided, and Jesus rebukes him. Verse 11, Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus could have said, Should I not drink the cup the Jews are making me to drink? Jesus could have said, Should I not drink the cup the Romans are forcing me to drink? But you know what Jesus said? Shouldn't I drink the cup the Father has given me? Friends, this is a great picture of how Jesus saw his arrest and the upcoming Calvary. Jesus saw it and saw these events related to it as the cup his Father, his Papa, his Abba gave him to drink. It was the cup of the wrath of God poured out against the rebellion of mankind. Now this cup the Father has given to Jesus so that His own Son would bear upon Himself the punishment we deserved. Friends, this is a summary of the Gospel. This is a summary of the truth we have believed. This is a great truth about, rebellious, about our rebellious condition. The great truth about God's provision to rescue us from the punishment of our sins, if only we would believe in Him. Jesus was willing to drink the cup His Papa gave Him so that you and I could have His life. If only we would repent of our sins and, and turn away and trust in Christ. Friend, if you're not a Christian, the message God has for you this morning is that His Son has drunk the cup He has given to the Son in your place. And now there remains only one thing for you to do. Will you accept the cup He has drink, drunk on your behalf so that you might have this life? Oh friend, if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, you have not received this grace of God in your life, if you would like to do that this morning, I pray that you would. If you have more questions about it, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. But Jesus displayed His kingly power by His willingness to accept the drink that the Father prepared for Him. How amazing it is that Christ's relationship with His Father 
was of such a nature that he was willing to drink even this cup. Is our relationship with our Heavenly Father of such a close connection, of such strength, that we're ready to take whatever cup the Father has given us? Now, in some ways, dear friends, God will never give us the exact same cup of the exact same wrath that He poured on His Son. Only His Son could bear that. And yet, in our difficulties, in embracing our struggles, we often get discouraged, we often get depressed, and often are surprised that the Father would ever give us such a cup to drink. Friends, if the Father gave His one and only Son to drink that cup, we should be not surprised if He sends lesser trials our way. Does your relationship with the Heavenly Father have the power to accept lesser, pleasant, less pleasant cups from Him? The power of His kingship was manifested in, his, in arrest by the initiative Jesus took to face a mob, by his, by his protection of His disciples, and by His willingness to drink the cup His Father has given Him. That's the way Jesus showed us His kingship, even in His arrest. But then He goes on to talk about the nature of His kingdom. Once Jesus is examined by Pilate, the discussion turns to the theme of Jesus' kingship. Again, this is phenomenal. We have a man examined, tried to be arrested, tried to be executed, and the main theme of the examination is wrapped around the theme of His kingship. Friends, take this to heart. What is being debated at Jesus' arrest is His kingship, is the nature of His kingdom. We can't escape this truth that even at His arrest, Jesus is king. Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 33. And Jesus says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were so, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by, by the Jews. Now my kingdom is from another place. Now this, is, this explains why Jesus, even though he's arrested, is still in control. This explains why Jesus, even though in control, has no one to come to his rescue. This explains why Jesus, even though he's in control, he forbid Peter to fight in the garden. Why? Because his kingdom, the kingdom where Jesus is king, has its origins not in this world. Remember the passage Barbara read from Daniel? But a stone will be thrown off from the mountain, not by human hands. And that represents that God in the future times will establish his kingdom. And now Jesus says that I am a king. I have come into this world to testify about this. I am a king, but the kingdom I am a king of is not of this world. It comes to this world, but its origins is not of this world. Now friends, Whenever we try to understand the kingdom of God through the lenses of this world, we run into trouble. Whenever we understand the kingdom of God through the lenses of this world, we run into trouble. And one of the troubles 
that we run into is that we fall in misguided zeal, as Peter did. Remember Peter? He was full of zeal. He showed that zeal in the garden in trying to protect Jesus' life. He even risked his life because he pulled out the sword in front of a mob who was armed with weapons. That was very, very risky for Peter to do. He was great zeal, but misguided. And he, Peter showed his uh, misguided zeal once again when he followed the Lord in the courtyard of the high priest. He was not supposed to. Jesus told him and all the rest of his disciples and the mob who came to arrest him, let these men go. Take me, let them go. Jesus in that sentence was in, in effect saying, I am going to do this alone. But what, does Je- what does Peter do? He follows Jesus when he should have not. And he gets into the courtyard of the high priest. Great zeal, but misguided. And that act, where did it lead him? To disown the Lord three times in front of the voice of several servants that were unarmed. He had the, he had the zeal to risk his life in front of a mob, but his zeal was so misguided that in front of the voice of, of some servants, he disowned the Lord, not once, not twice, three times. And he was not convicted of that until he heard the rooster crow. Peter was willing to do things for the Lord that the Lord had not asked him. That's what happens when we don't understand the nature of his kingdom. A shallow zeal is often impressive to the human eye, but it lacks faithfulness in the smallest and most essential things. And friends, the history of the church tells us that we have not learned this lesson very well. We have impressive cathedrals, but dead churches. We have impressive things to show off, but little faithfulness in our confession. Why do we fall in these traps? Because like Peter, we forget that the nature of Christ's kingdom is not of this earth. Because the kingdom of God has its origins outside of our earthly existence, the rules by which this kingdom operates are not intuitive to us. And the rules by which this kingdom is spread are not intuitive to us. That's why we need God's revelation to guide us into how this kingdom manifests itself and how this kingdom operates. Now, in the trial of Jesus, before Pilate, Jesus tells us how this kingdom operates. Look at verse 37. Pilate says, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, Yes, you're right, I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Now this is how the kingdom operates. The kingdom sent its king to come and testify to the truth. The truth that there is a kingdom from another place, 
which mankind does not know about until they hear the revelation of Jesus. It's a truth that Jesus taught about Himself, about His Father, the truth that we cannot enter that kingdom until we're, unless we're born again. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God until he, unless he's born again. These are the truths that Jesus came to confess, to testify, so that we might be rescued from this kingdom of the earth and be transported, becoming into, becoming members of his kingdom. This mode of operation of his kingdom, it advances not by sword, not by human strength, not by human strategies, but his kingdom advances by testifying to the truth. That's it, friends. By testifying to the truth. By proclaiming the truth. That's why the Crusades were the worst ever that we have done as Christians. Why did we do that? Because we misunderstood the nature of the kingdom. It's that simple, dear friends. That's why Christ came to testify to the truth. That's why the greatest task of the church of Jesus Christ is to remain faithful in testifying to the truth. The one task the church was entrusted, which no other human organization on earth was given, was to testify to the truth, to be a witness to the truth. That's why, dear friends, our proclamation is the most important thing we can do as a church. When we're gathered and when we're scattered, in one-on-one conversations, in hallway conversations, in small groups, in home groups, working with co-workers, with neighbors who are lost, the one task we're given, the one thing we can do and should do that no one else on human planet can do is confess, testify to the truth. So the power of His kingship, the nature of His kingdom. Now the last question remains, who belongs to this kingdom? We've seen His power. We've seen the nature of His kingdom, that it operates from above. It's from a different place, comes here, and it operates through proclamation, through, through testifying. But who belongs to this kingdom? Jesus tells Pilate in verse 37, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's it. That's it, friends. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, says Jesus. This is an incredible claim. It means that those who belong to his kingdom are marked by one unmistakable, one unfailing characteristic. They listen to the voice of the king. What characterizes the organic relationship between King Jesus and his followers are their ears. Now, friends, don't mistake. We're not talking just about the physical ear. You can hear someone and not listen to someone. Hearing is not, hearing is not the same thing as listening. The kind of listening that Jesus is talking about is the kind of listening that ha- is done with the heart and with our actions. It's the kind of listening that really shows that we are Jesus' disciples. King Jesus told one of Israel's leaders, Nicodemus, that the only entry point to his kingdom is to be born again. Yet there are people today who can continue to ignore this. They try to enter the kingdom by doing good deeds, by thinking that denominational affiliations will get them in, by thinking that if they just do it 
well enough. They're good enough. They will make it. There are others who completely ignore the kingdom and refuse to believe in it. Friends, if you're not a Christ follower, I encourage you and plead with you, take this to heart. Listen to the voice of Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn to Him. And He will give you the life of the kingdom. Because we have this assurance that everyone on the side of truth listens to His voice. If that's your desire today, I would love to talk to you. For the rest of us who are Christians, this characteristic has a number of important applications for us. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What does this mean for us who are Christ followers, members of the church of Jesus Christ? Listen to the following applications. Since listening to King Jesus is a key characteristic of those who belong to His kingdom, it means... That listening to God's Word reverently and responsively is one of the highest forms of honoring and worshiping God. It means that listening to God's Word reverently with an attitude ready to respond is one of the highest forms of honoring and worshiping God. Congregations never honor God more than by reverently listening to His Word with a full purpose of praising and obeying Him once they hear what He says. I love what Donald Whitney says, Don't think of preaching as merely time to learn about the Bible or to be galvanized to live more Christianly. God is speaking. Honor Him with your ears and souls as well as with your mouths. Friends, that's why when we gather together, on Sunday mornings. We should look forward to hear what God has to speak to us. We should come expecting to hear a word from the Lord. We should come praying for the person who is bringing the word. Pray for me that I would bring a word from the Lord to our congregation. That the word, the Lord would use what I say and and bring and apply the truth that we need to hear for where we are as a congregation. One of the greatest things you can do for an effective preaching ministry at Parkers Baptist Church is to pray regularly for the preaching of God's Word. So that God's Word might be heard and listened as we gather. You know what this means, dear friends? We should not stay in the hallways catching up with other believers while the service is going on. Now, I know sometimes we do that. It's very well intended. You know, we, we catch up with a person we haven't seen in a while. Or sometimes, you know, we, we get sidetracked in, in serving other things, doing some other things around the church that are not timely for that moment that needed to be done then. And sometimes we get caught up in serving other stuff, doing other things, while the service is going on. One of the things I encourage us to do is to recapture the amazing blessing God has given us that when we're gathered together and the word is proclaimed, we should have this expectancy, we should have this desire to hear from the Lord. Not that we can't listen to the sermon on, off, online later, but there are times and things and experiences that happen only here. That the Holy Spirit creates only here when we're gathered. The Holy Spirit can create other things when you listen to it on your own. But there's something that happens here 
And that's why we should treasure our gathering together. Not just whether or not we like the songs or we know the songs or, um, you know, they're our style or if, if the service goes the way we want to, we should come with the expectancy to hear from the Lord. Because listening to the truth is what characterizes those who belong to the kingdom. When people look for churches, the highest and most important criterion in the selection of churches should be how faithful is a proclamation of the truth in that church. There's no other criterion that should be so high in a category in and of itself when we look for churches. Some of you members of this congregation, God will call you to move away at some point. And you will be in that position. I pray that when God calls you to that, you will know very clearly the one unmistakable criterion is how faithfully is the word preached. For those of you who are attending our church, perhaps you're considering to join. That is the one characteristic we encourage you to consider. We may falter at a whole lot of other things. We may not do everything else as good as you would like us to do it. But the one thing we hope to do well, the one unmistakable thing we want to do well, is preach God's word faithfully. And encourage you to speak God's word faithfully. Encourage you to speak the gospel. Encourage you to have these conversations with one another. Oh, dear friends, I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. It's a sober reminder that people who will continue to congregate in churches, who will continue to have a form of religion, who will continue to gather in the name of God, will reject God's truth. Paul says to Timothy, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And with this warning, go back to the words of Jesus. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Friends, how is your appetite for the truth of God's Word? Do you love listening to it? Do you love listening to it? And when you listen, do you listen just with your ears or do you listen with your heart and the actions? Listen to what James said. Don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Oh, dear members of Parkless Baptist Church, here's my heart desire for us. That we would grow in listening to King Jesus. Not just individualistically and privately, but corporately. I pray that we would be more eager to show up for a service in which we gather to listen from God than we would be eager to watch and attend a football game. I'm sorry. I see more eagerness when the football game comes around, the, the calendar year. Then I see eagerness for being together and listening to God. And I say this you know, with a very humble spirit. It is a rebuke, but it's a gentle rebuke. We need to ask the Lord to cause in us a zeal for His truth outpasses any other zeal we have in this life. I pray that 
we would be. Showing the characteristics that Jesus said to Pilate. That he, those who belong to the truth, listen to him. Jesus is king. Nothing else is above him. I know I may have stepped on some toes in just the last 30 seconds of the service. But I did it for your benefit. I did it for our benefit. Because Jesus is king. Nothing is above him. I remember the, the strategy of one of the evangelists who was trying to um, evangelize on a campus where Jesus was not known. And football was huge. I think it was the University of Tennessee. Football games were huge. And they were looking for a, a slogan to try to introduce Jesus to this campus and how precious Jesus is. And they came up with this slogan. It's somewhat cheesy, but I think it does the job, at least for part of the time. They came and, and said the following, we want to make Jesus as big on this campus as football is. I mean, it was cheesy. It was a partial step goal. But here's a point. We want to make Jesus be more exciting than anything that we have. And listening to King Jesus, not just privately, but together, when we're here, should be big deal. It should be game time every time we gather. We're in season all year round, once a week, dear friends. And you don't have to buy season tickets. We'll let you reserve your own seat. But make Jesus big. Make him bigger than football. Because those who belong to him, listen to him. Even during his arrest, Jesus showed his kingship. By his power by the nature of his kingdom, by telling us what characterizes those who belong to his kingdom. Let's pray.